Arts. You're listening to Artspin Uncination with myself, Christian, your wonderful EP, or at least I <laughs> like to think so. How much do you want um, to talk yourself up there, Christian? Um, a lot. No. Um, <laughs> and I, I know Amish. I'm Amish. We just had um, an interview with Amy Bailey. Ah, uh, yes, from the Australian Book Review. And uh, right now, in the studio, we have with us um, the wonderf- another wonderful person, Melinda <laughs> Martin <laughs> um, from Linden New Art. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming to join us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so tell us about uh, Borderlines, the upcoming, um, yeah, the newest exhibition. So Borderlines is our next exhibition at Linden mm-hmm. New Art, and it's a contemporary Indigenous exhibition that features the work of three Indigenous communities that come from Central Australia. So... We refer to them as the APY lands, but essentially it's that if we think about the border between WA, the Northern Territory and South Australia, this is where these communities come from. So it features work from artists from Papalukucha, Jumpy Desert Weavers and Warakurna artists. Beautiful. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So we've got sculptures, we've mm. got paintings, all sorts of things. Excellent. And uh, yeah, could you tell us like how it started, what the initial idea was? And so, yeah. um, Lyndon always show presents one contemporary Indigenous exhibition each year. So we always look at presenting a different range of exhibitions. So this year we decided that we wanted to work with some communities in Central Australia. And one of the things, the lovely things about this story is that all of these communities work together. So Jumpy Desert Weavers, for example, are these group of women. It's a social enterprise based out of Alice Springs that all these women come together, they go out into country, they collect the grasses that they then turn into these beautiful sculptures. So in the gallery we've got, you know, Parenti lizards, which are uh, have discovered the third largest lizard in the world, the things you learn when you're a gallery director. Wow. Yeah. Mm. They're a bit like a lace monitor and a goanna. How is big how is it? Big, like, you know, three or four metres, like big, big, big. <laughs> They so eat, than, yeah. As big as the Komodo dragon? Oh, no, that, 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 that is the biggest, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And they eat things like, you <laughs> know... Want, want two of those in a fight. You know, feral them. cats in... in oh. Yeah, like, they're pretty So huge. they're helping out the environment they as well. They are helping out... <laughs> well, that's as I understand it. I could be yeah. completely wrong. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're not feral. Maybe yeah, they're maybe. <laughs> I, I, I don't mm. want to enter that conversation. Let's not think about yeah, let's not think about that. Um, but they also make things like we've got this incredible about a metre and a half long ute, Toyota ute, mm. which is like, so they're artists who are using the traditional techniques of basket weaving, collecting native grasses, but commenting on their contemporary world. It's filled mm. with utes. There's a helicopter that you would see mustering cattle out in that part of Australia as well. So it's a really nice connection. And they're made with like, there's bits of, you know, brightly coloured wool. There's a few sequins in there as mm. well as these really amazing native grasses. So it's this nice connection. Um, and it's one of those beautiful stories where the women um, are teaching the younger women in their communities the importance of culture, of country and take people out. So they have a kind of celebration each time they are taken out onto the country to collect the grasses as well, which is really lovely. Oh, wonderful. And um, when did you start working with um, them in particular? We probably started working on this exhibition about 18 months ago when we first decided that um, we first approached Jumpy Desert Weavers for a show and they were really busy so we knew that we'd only get a small selection of work so then we talked to them about other communities that they were working with and they suggested that we work with these other two communities as well because artists from Orokerna and artists from Popular Culture have actually worked with Jumpy Desert Weavers as well. So there's a lot of artists who overlap who some do paintings, some do sculpture and and carving as well. So it's a really interesting mix of communities. All oh, right, yeah. So a lot of, like mm. various kind of yeah. art forms there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, like would you say um, there's been much collaboration between them or uh, not so um, much in this show, but mm. definitely there's a lot of collaboration in the community 
communities where they um, go out and participate in collecting sort of grasses and participating in their own kind of community ceremonies as well. So they're some of the things that they do. And then there's, um, so one other aspect of the show is Warakerna artists, a group of artists who paint mostly they also do some carving as well and they actually have created this series of paintings that document a significant moment in their community where the road was cut through their community and a lot of the um, people in the community were employed we could say the word employed loosely mm -hmm. they were employed to go out and work on the community and help cut the road which meant that they had greater access to other different parts of um, indigenous communities that surrounded them but also greater access to some sacred sites that were really important to that community which was a kind of byproduct if you like but they weren't paid for it they were paid with food their families were um, given shelter but that was part of the world in, in that time in which it operated. So there's a kind of a lot of colonial issues that are kind of lurking at the edges of this show as well, which that, are also so important. So that's what you kind of want to explore with this show. Yeah, and we're interested that kind of the notion of borderlines, these kind of, you know, strict structures that we use to kind of mark out states and territories in our country, if you overlay that with a <coughs> sense of Indigenous communities and Indigenous culture, there's thousands of communities living together and thousands of different language groups. So that's really important for us to think about well, where are the lines, where are the crossings where are the connection points because I think often um, as Australians we often feel so isolated from Indigenous people, We don't, if we haven't grown up in those communities we don't understand what it's like but in fact there's more things that actually connect us as human beings than there are that don't connect us as human beings it. we just don't realise that we, we haven't had the same experiences as they have so I think that's really important for us to explore those kind of issues as well mm. Fantastic mm. So, Melinda, how did you get involved with Linden New Art itself? Oh, like, what's, it's a, what's, long, what, it is a story. long story. But, but what's your like, connection background? to like, this? Yeah, 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 and your connection to this project. So, I have one of those crazy... Like, I started off at university way too long ago, nearly 30 years ago, I'm going to say, out loud. And I thought I was going to be a financial journalist. Mm. It's a weird thing to want to be when you're 17. Um, I mean, everyone wants a bit of money. Well, I don't know. I think it was more that I was interested in economics and the way in really? which the world operated and the way in which you could understand how things happened. I was uh, more I interested in that. I was, I was considering, that. like, finance, but I just wanted to buy a house. <laughs> so That would have been probably smart. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I ditched that early on because I thought, no, these people are not my kind of people. And I was, always had an interest in art. In, in, an art and then I kind of continued and I got to a point where I was either had to choose between being a criminologist or an art historian and for whatever reason I followed art historian because I listened to my family which was like follow the thing that you love and you'll be happy they didn't mention the bit about poverty necessarily <laughs> but you know that's a different that's a whole other adventure <laughs> so I've spent a lot of time working um, in public galleries and commercial galleries I've also worked for organizations where I've developed training programs for individual artists to teach them to be more business savvy um, so that they can survive and because the best thing you can do for any artist is buy work because um, mm. that, that invests into their future and supports them so I have that kind of weird and wondrous kind of journey that ends you up into being a gallery director. So I've been at Linden for the last five years. Do you right. enjoy it? I love it. I'm really lucky I get to do, you know, yeah. one of those jobs that... That you love? That you love and very few people get the chance to do and I actually am doing the job that I actually studied to do. 
So I'm pretty lucky. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and those um, training programs you were talking about before, uh, like when, when you were starting out yourself, did you have, would you say you had anything like that? Would you have liked to have had something um, like that I or more of it? I started off more in art history than practical art. And I think if you ever saw see me draw, you'll understand why, mm-hmm. um, that it was a wise decision for me to follow that path. I have done like museum studies and curatorial studies along the way as part of the journey. So those kind of things teach you how to manage the kind of back of house so that when you walk into a gallery it looks perfect and seamless but you don't actually see the chaos behind that process to make that happen. I've never thought of like the technical side of setting up galleries but there must be so much like to do with it. Yeah, well, we like had... Like the kind of the things that yeah, you never consider with these. Yeah, so with this show, for example, all the canvases came unrolled, all rolled on, you know, just rolled up in form, and we had to get them stretched in Melbourne because, oh. of course, shipping canvases from Central Australia to Melbourne is a very expensive exercise. You can send work to Asia more cheaply than you can get works from Central Australia. I would never have, like, thought of these things when thinking about it. It's things like... Because when you know, I think of, like, an art yeah. director, I'm just like, yeah, go in there, talk a bit, a little bit, but... Hangs like paintings on a wall. Never. Yeah. So what's, what's the stretching process? Um, I'm you, actually you have actual like uh, pieces of timber behind stretcher bars that actually the canvas then adheres to. So we worked with a framer that actually did all that for us. Fantastic. Yeah. So there's a lot of little you know logistical things that um, I want to be an artist. <laughs> <laughs> that hmm. you have to manage in order to make things hmm. make things that happen. And then of course because it can take a long time for works to come from, you often have to wait for the one truck to go to that remote community to pick up the um, freight and it might only come once a month so we've had to work quite closely with the communities to get all the work here Fantastic. which I can say very safely it is on display yes very good <laughs> all done happy to hear <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't know if like you feel like anyone might be sort of I guess like discouraged by um, like you know all, all this in- intricate kind of work you're talking about with like getting art from remote areas where you know it might not be as uh, for, for people who are used to source yeah um, getting art from more sort of urban areas yeah. yeah so can you remember when like you had your first experience with um, working so I've in got those areas? a really great mm. story of actually so in remote communities. Well, and when I say remote, we're actually remote from them. They, mm. They're not remote from us. We, you know, I think mm. it's, it's important to live, to yeah. think about it the other way. And often you'll only have one telephone, like an, the old Telstra phone booth. You'll mm. only have the one phone in the community because it's so remote. This is before wow. mobile phones, before di- satellite phones. So you'd ring and someone would answer the phone and you'd ask to speak to somebody and they go... But they have to go find them. I'm not sure if they're here. And they'd literally drop the phone mm-hmm. and someone would run off to find whoever it was you were talking. And sometimes they come back and say, they're not here. And you'd be like, when will they be back? We don't know. So you can just say, can you please tell them that so-and-so called? And Would you ever go visit these communities yourself? I have in the past. I've had okay. been out to communities in the past. That must be a fantastic It's experience. an amazing experience to actually go out to those communities because you realise how important their sense of connection to the country that they live on, mm. their connection to their community and how well supported they are. If we think about they're the longest living civilization in terms yeah. of culture and that's incredible that it happens in our own country and yet often we so we're so privileged we're so that, privileged to but have we just that don't talk about it enough yeah and i think these people are amazing in terms of their continuation of their stories and i think in this show there's also an artist who very sadly passed away just the last week or so and 
her work is made about Maralinga. So she's talking about the very horrible things that happen to some Indigenous communities in this country. But she also is incorporating that into that's part of her story, that's part of what happened to her, that is part, and it's important that she passes on that story so that future generations can learn and understand what it means when people aren't even considered in terms of their belonging to a space, but also they're not even counted at that point in history in the 1950s but she you know and her work is very significant because of that because she captures those moments because she was there mm. so she becomes a witness um to the events of that happened in the past so, but she's also so she actually witnessed the yeah wow. yeah she was they were out um not far away camping as part of a community celebration and they woke up in the middle of the night with some people who were very ill some people had already died and passed away because the clouds that must have been yeah. Incredible and terrifying experience. Absolutely like, terrifying to not know what is what had happened. And, she, and if, like, you could sum yeah. up, like, kind of the atrocities that mm. have happened in these communities, mm. that's, like, the physical representation yeah. of a man-made. Yeah, kind of yeah. And I think it's really important to kind of pay homage to that. Yeah, that she's course. showing an important part of Australian history, but also an important part of history that sometimes is just swept under the table and not acknowledged. And her herself. Yeah, as being a witness to that yeah. kind of history as well, that it is lived, that it is, you know, happened in real time. And her work's really interesting because it has a combination of quite traditional dot painting style mm -hmm. and then also a combination of a more figurative element that captures the kind of cloud of dust of... Um, of the nuclear testing site. So I think it's they're really important to be sharing those stories yeah. and showing those stories alongside other works that are whimsical and fun as well. I think there's a really nice conversation to be had about that. Mm. It's like a variety of uh, well, subject matter, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and mm. I think also it's important because it's a, the connection to... Um, something like jumpy weavers where you look and you you instantly smile because you walk you look at the animals and you look at the objects that are made and they they make you smile but also you realize that it's actually a social enterprise that has been established by to support indigenous women so they can continue to support their families so each work that you buy actually goes back to that community and supports that community to continue on with their preservation of culture and I think that's a really important aspect definitely mm. When we were talking before about, yeah, just like how much the diversity of culture mm. and language mm. does exist in this country, um, uh, on this continent rather, and, and especially when you hear people refer to um, Australia as being monolingual, yeah, far from it. No, far from it. <laughs> far from yeah. it. You know, mm. I, I, you know, hang my head in shame in terms of the ability to speak other languages when you can think about how many... Um, sometimes you'll meet Indigenous people who, you know, English might be their sixth language or mm. um, might be their third language and we don't realise how difficult it must be for them to communicate in a country that is actually theirs. Mm. Mm. So I think it's, um, you know, you've got to be really humble when you meet people like that. And I think it's really important to understand that. Mm, absolutely. And and do you feel this is, uh, just just to finish up, um, this is all uh, at least part of what, um, what Borderlines is expressing? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It's really about saying that, you know, there are all these borders that we arbitrarily place on a, a country, but here are these communities who are actually um, exploring a range of issues. They're looking at the life that they live now as well as things that have happened in the past, but they're continuing an expression and a creative output to express 
what's important to them and I think that's a really important thing and we're in a very privileged position as a gallery to be able to show that and allow people to come and visit. Wonderful. So people can, of course, um, <laughs> come can. visit. Um, so this Friday, um, it starts to be on yeah, display, is so it? Yes, on the 11th of August mm-hmm. and um, it runs until the 24th of September and Linden is at um, Dallas Brooks Drive in South Yarra. We're just opposite the Royal Botanical Gardens oh, yeah. while our beloved home in St Kilda is having a major renovation. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. so we'll, we'll be back there next year, but you can come mm. and see us in the beautiful gardens while we're at Domain House. Yeah, Fantastic. perfect. Mm. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you um, for having me. Yeah, absolute pleasure.